All right, so I'm gonna read 1 Thessalonians 3. We're actually gonna read the whole chapter, and then we're gonna go back and we're gonna focus on one section. So it starts off this way, 1 Thessalonians 3. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, this is Paul writing, he said, we decided to stay alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy to visit you. Again, if you recall, it was back at the very end of chapter two, he says he wants to see these guys. He wants to visit them, but Satan was withholding, and that's what we talked about a few weeks ago. Well, now he's like, so I can't get there. We don't know why he can't get there, but he can't get there, so he sends Timothy. So we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's coworker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. That is so relatable, by the way, if, if it, just in, in general, just as a pastor. Verse six. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. I'll pause it real quick just to say, I, I love that phrase, it gives us new life. There's this invigoration, reinvigoration, wherever the right word is, when you hear of that kind of encouragement. It reminds me of, uh, in a month, we're gonna have Joel here from Kenya, one of our partners, and how, when he, when he shares about the work that's been happening, and those of you who were at uh, or in Kenya, and you are a part of that work, to hear how the, 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 the initiative you are a part of, or that part of the process you are a part of, to hear that it's doing well is such a wonderful affirmation of your work. It wasn't in vain, and you, so there's this report back. So this is a very common thing that we even experience today. So verse nine, it continues. How we thank God for you, because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill the gaps in your faith. May God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your hearts strong blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people, amen. Wow, that's quite this. Oh, by the way, those last few verses, those are often ones that I use and I encourage you to use to, for praying. So sometimes we pray uh, you know, as we kind of want to. It's a conversation, it's intercession. But other times, I encourage you to pray scripture uh, in part because it's, it's on point. It's, a, it's God's word, it's true. Uh, but when, when it comes to, say, praying for you, I will pray these kinds of, uh, th these actual verses for you or for your family. And I have found great, um, I don't know, outcome with, with doing that, and I encourage you to do the same for me and for others. Okay, so that is chapter three. It is quite the, uh, the package. There's lots of things there, and if you notice at the very beginning, Timothy was sent 
to this church with a task, and Paul explains what this is. This is the task we're gonna focus on this morning. Chapter three, and then verse two outlines it. It says, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. So those two words are what stand out. Uh, establish and exhort. Whenever you're reading scripture, whether you're gonna teach a Bible study or even preach it, it's so good. One of the practices you wanna do is look for the key word. What is, the, what is like the focus of that section that really stands out? And usually there's a word or two that do so. In this case, it's establish and exhort. And that's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to study this morning. The Apostle Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica with this purpose. Timothy, go to Thessalonica and establish them and exhort them in their faith. Don't get distracted with a lesser mission. Don't lose focus or lose strength because the cost is too high and kingdom work weighs in the balance. The spiritual development of your brothers and your sisters is what is at stake. So what did Paul mean when he sent Timothy to establish and to exhort this young church? Well, establishing it deals with the foundational work that must occur. And exhorting deals with the building up that must occur. The imagery of these words is very similar to building a house. You have your foundation and your structural support, which must be sound and sturdy and free from fractures or cracks. And then you have your house that's built upon the foundation and around the support structure. This sort of imagery is also in Paul's other writings. So Colossians 2 mentions a similar idea too. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Friends, your faith in Jesus Christ might have begun as a confession of faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood paid for your sin. However, your faith doesn't stay there. You've got to get established in your faith. And then you have to grow up in your faith. Otherwise, you're like a baby with a beard and a Bible in your hand. So don't be a baby with a beard and a Bible. Write that down if you're taking notes. That's, that's good. As we consider this parallel of, a, of our spiritual lives being like a house built upon a firm foundation, some verses might come to mind. Uh, one is that description that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount. One of my first sermons, we did a series called Jesus Dropped the Mic, and we did it on the Sermon on the Mount, and when we got to the section about a house that's built on rock versus a house that's built on sand, I actually had two little birdhouses, and I poured water on each of them, and the one that was on rocks just sat there, and the one that was on sand collapsed and everything. And that, that description is such a wonderful story for us. Well, additionally, as we think about this, what condition is your spiritual house in? How is the foundation of your spiritual life? Does it pass inspection? How about the structure that's built upon it? Have you built up the walls and the roof and the inside rooms? Are they functional or have they become dusty? Have they turned condemned? Maybe you're like me where I have looked at homes to buy and sometimes uh, you go through and you think it's promising and then it turns out, nope, this is not gonna work out. Several years ago, the first house, Lynn and I thought, this is the house the Lord's gonna use to pull us out of Charlottesville because we were living outside near Costco and we're gonna anchor ourselves in Greene County, like the church had started that same year. 
And uh, we looked at this house on Fredericksburg Road, right on the river. It was awesome. It was in a style that we liked, and the price was good, especially compared to now. And we're like, yeah, this is going to be great. This is for us. And we get the inspection. The guy's walking through. I'm going with him. And he's like, man, there's like water damage everywhere. There's like mold. There's issues with um, the roofing. And it's on the cusp of falling into the river if you're not careful. And I'm like, oh man. So we couldn't do it. We didn't, we like it needed tens of thousands of dollars to, to, to fix everything just to make it structurally sound. So we didn't do that. I had been waiting for somebody uh, to join our church who, has, who lives in that house now. I'm like, that's why several of you who live on that road, I'm like, where do you live? Where do you live in front of where we're at? <laughs> when I first meet you, if you ever wondered, that's, I'm very specific because I know that road. Well, in our physical house, we would never allow foundational cracks to get wider or rooms to slowly fall into disrepair. But have we grown content with a rundown spiritual house? Have we allowed dilapidation just to continue due to immaturity or laziness? Remember the words of 1 Corinthians 6. In verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, right? Verse 20 continues, therefore honor God with your bodies. So Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 3, these these two words, establish and exhort, they convey this picture of a structure that's been founded and then built properly. And that's what all Christians must want for their spiritual lives. Again, as I started off reading 2 Thessalonians, I'm gonna reread that verse in chapter three. It says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. What a wonderful promise we have for our, for our spiritual lives that we're not just like aimlessly wandering about hoping that we can get rooted in our faith. No greater joy. I, I, in addition to our salvation and the angels rejoicing in, our, in heaven, no greater joy would our God have than to anchor ourselves and get us deeply entrenched in our love and our faith to our Savior? So would you say that you've been established in your faith? Would you say that you are deeply anchored? Are you immovable by the work of Christ who atoned for your sin on the cross? And then also, are you exhorted on a daily basis both by the Holy Spirit through God's word, so as you're reading it and you're just sensing and feeling and experiencing his establishing in you and his his building up in you, but then also the edification of the saints. So your brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who are here, uh, those of us who are like brothers and sisters in Christ who who might be uh, making online sermons or whatever or worship songs and you're able to be encouraged by their walk and their encouragement, their, their affirmation and their love toward you. Would you say that these are true of you, being established and being exhorted? It is essential that you are. So let's talk through how do we get established and exhorted. If for some of us we're saying like, I don't really know if I am or not or you don't really know where to begin or some of you, uh, and several of you here may not know this, we've had several in our church family get saved in just the last few weeks. You are right in this moment where it's like, it is time to get established and to be built up in your faith. So how do we get established and exhorted? Let's look at each of these words, and I believe you will sense the Holy Spirit pinpointing an area in your life or just building this out in you a little bit more. So first of all, we had the word established. Now, 
That's how we say it in English. But uh, in, in the Greek text here, it's the word sterizo. It comes from that word. Kind of like chorizo, but it has nothing to do with burritos. It just rhymes with it. Sterizo, it means to establish or to support or to buttress. It means to solidly plant, thereby eliminating wobbliness or indecisiveness. It means to fix to something so that it stands upright and immovable. So if strizo was a construction term using this metaphor we started off with, it would be for the support beams. They are the bones of the structure. You do not want them moving. A moment ago we sang this song uh, where we are prone to wander, you know, Lord I feel it. And then we said like, our, our, um, take and, and seal us or seal it. And well that idea, like why is it that we, we might be prone to wander, but why, why is it that we don't totally wander all the way? Or why, why is it that even in our, in our prodigal wandering that might occur, you can still hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the prompting, the, why is that? Because you have been established. There was this seed planted in you that is immovable and you cannot be uh, taken out of the Father's grip. And so this idea of establishing is what happens there, this, this deep anchoring. And understanding this word encourages us because we see that it is the Lord who does this anchoring. Again, we're gonna read it for the last time, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, where it says, the Lord is faithful, he will establish you, and he will guard you against the evil one. But also, he not only saves us, but he establishes us, he fixes us to Jesus Christ by uniting us to our Savior. Listen to these words about being uh, the, the union we have with Jesus. This union that occurs at salvation. This, this is another way to say established, but it's this deep, eternal weld that occurs. Romans 6 says, Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? And then uh, two verses over in verse five, it says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. It is a glorious truth for us to remember our position with our God. We have been united with Christ. What greater union can the human soul experience? Our union with Christ is the greatest establishing. This is being bound to the mighty victor. Joined to Christ is the strongest eternal weld. Why? Because it's bound by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the perfect lamb. So that is the establishing that occurs if you are a follower of Christ. Genuine confession of faith, belief in Jesus Christ, not because your daddy believed it, not because you gave a bunch of money to the church, not because you, uh, everybody loves you, but because you personally, in the quietness of your heart, believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, as Romans 10, 9 and 10 describe. Well, the second word is exhort. And again, I rarely pull us into the uh, Greek language um, just because it's not necessarily needed, but exhort comes from the root word parakaleo. And in this context, it means this. And I wish I had this on the screen, but I was running late due to the time change, so I don't have it up there. So it means proclaiming the word of God as an apostolic ambassador in the power of the Holy Spirit with the purpose of leading the church in a lifestyle worthy of the gospel to which God has called them and to which they have surrendered. 
I'm gonna reread that for you because this is the language used from Paul to Timothy. I am sending you to Thessalonica for this purpose, the exhortation. It's proclaiming the word of God as an apostolic ambassador in the power of the Holy Spirit with the purpose of leading the church in a lifestyle worthy of the gospel to which God has called them and to which they have surrendered. So again, not just establishing that's great, that's needed. You cannot move on if you don't get a solid establishing but it's not just sitting there. There's a building up that occurs. It is such a blessing that God uses us to exhort one another and to build one another up. He uses our encouragement. He uses our prayer for one another. He uses our, our service to one another, our hospitality to one another. He uses the teaching, teaching of the word to one another and testifying to his work in our lives and on and on. All these one another's he uses to build us up. This is a big part of our faith. In addition to the, the personal quiet exhorting that he does to us as we are daily reading his word and allowing him to grow us. The same word is used in chapter two. So we're in, we're in chapter three, but in chapter two, Paul uses this in verse 12. He says, we pleaded with you and we encouraged you. That word encouraged is the same one. And we urged you to live lives, uh, live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. So this young church, Thessalonica, they faced relentless persecution. Paul knew they could easily collapse under the weight of the struggle. So Paul sent Timothy to instruct them along these matters in order to establish and to exhort their faith with sound doctrine and practice. That is what occurred. That's what chapter three is about. Now I wanna talk just for a little bit about what do we do with this? I've got three questions for us to walk through. First of all, have you personally felt God's establishing and exhorting in your life? Like, let's just take a moment to reflect on this and to celebrate personally before the Lord. This, this, is a, this is a personal testament to God doing work in us where we are different people now than where we were when we first believed in Jesus Christ or even before that. So can you look back and see in your journey how he has taken you, say from the first day of your salvation to then your baptism or to reading the Bible for the first time or even getting a Bible that, you, that meant something to you because you were a follower of Christ. That kind of work, that is him establishing you as you remember back in those early days in your walk with the Lord. Do you recall sharing your faith for the first time and the, and the anxiousness that occurred there? Or do you recall feeling that sensation of being persecuted for the first time because someone's mocking you for your faith. And you're like, well, that's different. I used to not be mocked, but now I am, right? Because of my faith. And you've sensed this, uh, rather than succumbing to it, you're kind of working through it for the first time. Or what spiritual milestone have you recently crossed where in the past you would have fallen to temptation or um, you would have, um, like examples would be like, you've in the past you would have lost your temper in that situation, or you would have cowered in fear in that situation, or you would have become anxious in a way where you didn't take that to the Lord in that situation. But now, in that same scenario, because of the maturing God has done in you, you can see that the Holy Spirit, you're allowing him to empower you, and you are walking in obedience and faith. Well, that is him establishing you, and that's, 
God's work in our lives. And we can find wonderful encouragement. That didn't happen by accident. That didn't just happen with time. That is intentional, almost systematic discipleship of God working in our lives to build us and to establish us in our faith. We can watch him change us in ways that are unimaginable to our friends or our family who knew us before we surrendered to Christ or knew us before we uh, were in... uh, like full surrender to Christ. Colossians 2, I read this earlier, but I'm gonna reread it because it's just so fitting. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So did you know that in the same way God established and exhorted this young church in Thessalonica, that he has created the means for you and me and all believers today to also be established and exhorted. That's not something limited just to this church in Thessalonica. They were strong and we also can be strong, both individually in our pursuit of the Lord and also as a church. We literally can be a Thessalonica sort of church because of God's work in our lives. It's a process that begins with the Holy Spirit sanctification in our lives. He does not merely work in us, while we sit around and do nothing, the Holy Spirit is not like that ab belt thing that you sit on your you sit on your body and then you like sit on the couch and eat nachos and then get abs or like however they claim that works. He's not like a magical fitness instructor. God calls us to be active in our faith, and as we are active, He uses diligence and obedience to mature us more and more into the likeness of our Savior. So verses like this, Philippians 2.12 stand out. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the second half of chapter, or verse 12. And also James 2.26. It says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So we see that God wants to work in us to establish and exhort us, but sometimes we can be our own worst enemy, right? We can quench the power and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit in our lives by not working out our salvation or by walking down a prodigal path that is not life-giving, even though it feels like it is at first because the temptation is so strong and the deception is there, but it's actually not. So that's the first question. Can you recall God's establishing and exhorting in your life? Just think of his own work in your life. This is where... You know, if we were gonna have like snacks and a potluck, we would pause, have story time for an hour while we all eat, and then we go back to number, you know, question number two. But we're not gonna do that today. You can do that in your group this week if you'd like. So the second question is, what gets in the way of God working in you? And when I say that, I think a more accurate diagnosis would be, what do you allow to get in the way, right? Like, let's not just blame shift Oh, this stuff happened. Well, you, you, you did it. You're, like, you, you're the one that was the source behind that. Why don't we work out our salvation? Why don't we have a life of obedience to good works as an expression of our faith? To, to go back to Thessalonica, why, why is it that we might not be a Thessalonican sort of church or a believer? Well, there's a few that stand out to me. Perhaps it is the effects of persecution. Right, this was Paul's main concern when he was writing to the Thessalonians and why he wanted to visit them, and it's a legitimate concern. Remember Jesus' words when he was talking about sowing seeds and they land on four different paths? One of those paths related to persecution. So Matthew 13, 5, Jesus is saying this in the parable. It says, some of the seed, it fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, The plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Well, 
in verse 21 of that chapter, he explains what the meaning was, right? Because each, each one of these in this parable, he explains what the paths are. So this specific path, he says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So is it because of persecution uh, that you might have uh, cracks in your spiritual foundation? You know, for many of us, persecution takes the form of relational consequences. It could be mockery, it could be rejection, it could be disdain, it could be control. Often this is in the form of an unbelieving spouse. Even if they're not physically abusive to you in the way that we might think of persecution, like getting punched or being killed or whatever, right? They can, might be verbally or emotionally insulting. Perhaps they're making you feel guilty for prioritizing church and worship or being away from the family in order to go to a Bible study. It's not only spouses, it might be parents. And we have students who are in our church whose parents are not believers and are not here. So the students drive themselves or get dropped off. And many of these students, they might experience this kind of persecution from their parents in which the student is trying to prioritize Jesus in their studies, in their after-school activities, and their summer opportunities like a mission trip uh, or a camp, uh, and even career ambitions but a parent might have endless reasons why they shouldn't do this or that. And then the student has to sit in this tension of submitting to God, but also submitting to their parent while they're in that authority and in that household. And if it's not a spouse, and if it's not your parents, it might also just be your friends here locally. We're a small town, and so if you grew up here, and now you're taking your faith seriously, you kind of stand out among the rest of them in a way that's like, awkward. Uh, Because the reality is, you might have an old friend group who pulls you down, or they have Sunday traditions that everyone's always done, like on a regular basis at this time, or when this happens, right? Because this tends to be an hour or a time frame where people are free. Well, now you're like, I want to go to church. And they're saying, what do you, you know, and they give you a hard time for doing that. And it could be you wanting to go on a mission trip instead of missing, uh, and then missing out on what they might have planned or always do that week of the year and it happens to coincide with going to Columbia, whatever it might be. And they shame you rather than supporting you. And what is like, the reason I bring this up is who it tends to be, in my experience, is it's, uh, particularly as I even think, this town is very similar to the the hometown I grew up in. And it tends to be those who say they are Christians who kind of give you the hardest time. So it's not so much like the person who's just doing their own thing. They're like, all right, well, Adam got saved. And he's, taking his, he's taking his faith seriously now. Okay. But it's, it's, it's those who are like, they either claim to be Christians and they're faking it because it's religious and it's easy to like fake that in our society. Or it is those who, they are Christians, but they're walking rebelliously before the Lord. They're not taking their faith seriously and they kind of like use you as a way to just kind of excuse their own behavior and make themselves feel better so they give you a hard time. And uh, that kind of persecution just can like eat away at you. And day after day or more like year after year, after five years of that, after 10 years of that, uh, sometimes you're like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna join, join the club and I will slowly compromise in a devoted faith in the way that your heart actually yearns for. So is it persecution that prevents you from growing? Uh, what about another one might be comfort? Is it the effects of comfort? Does that hold you back from a life of working out your salvation? You know, we can love life so hedonistically. We can have so much fun that we become lazy. We can actually become unfit for kingdom work. 
remember, we are established and exhorted by God for a purpose. We can enjoy God's moments, but don't let all your hope and all your treasure be in the world because it's fleeting. Ephesians 2.10, I love this verse. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So are you walking in the good works that God has prepared for you? I'm striving to, for me, I don't, know, don't always hit it, but like striving to. Several of you are as well. But we all need to do that. God, God has created, we are his workmanship. He, like, like as if you're like a, I don't know, like a, a, a um, take a stone, like a, a big block. I was just reading on this and thinking about this with like Michelangelo and some of the work he did. That's what I do while I'm sick, right? So we're like reading on like all the work he was doing. And um, here he takes this rugged, nasty old piece of marble or whatever, and he will slowly chisel it, or he did, and he slowly chiseled it into a beautiful work of art. Well, we are God's workmanship. He's working in us. He has a purpose for us. Are you walking in that purpose and whatever it may be? A third one, last one for us as far as a, a question that might distract us from God's establishing and exhorting could be busyness. I mean, like, is that, the, is that the biggest, I'll call it like a demon. Like, is that the biggest demon you gotta fight off on a regular basis? Your schedule is so overwhelmed that you're not even building your spiritual house, just your own personal walk with the Lord because you are so busy. And maybe you can justify it. Pastors are guilty of this too. A lot of ministry leaders are too. But you justify it. You're like, hey, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this with my family. I'm doing this with my school. I'm doing this with my community. I'm doing this at work. And, and we can all be super busy. But then at doing so, we can forget to abide with Jesus on a daily basis, which is the greatest priority. You, you, you neglect that long enough, you slowly have cobwebs in your life. Uh, the, the, the acts will grow dull that God wants to use. And look at John 15, five. We have it on the screen. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you allowed yourself to slowly grow apart from the source, from the life giver, right? So these are three things that could be persecution, comfort, maybe busyness that gets in the way of God working in us. Now, the last uh, broad question that I have for you, remember the first one is like, let's remember what has God done with us and, and hit in that journey. Secondly, what is getting in the way? And the third question for us is, who can you establish and exhort? So Paul sent Timothy to go do this work. And as we've already looked at, this is a priority of our God. Jesus wants to establish us. The Holy Spirit exhorts us. I mean, he is more than sufficient to just take the job if we are like in the desert or on a remote island. He can do that work. But he has called us to live in community. He wants to use us also the way he used Timothy to be the vessel or the vehicle to exhort and to establish one another. So who can you establish and exhort? If you're a parent, first of all, that would be your children. God wants to use you to establish their faith and to exhort and, um, and build them up in the Lord. I'm a little emotional. I'm so thankful because our church, so many of you are taking that seriously. It's a wonderful privilege to be a part of a church family that prioritizes that, 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 that focuses on that. We have child dedications in, the two, in two weeks, I think. And, and there are so many of you who are choosing to do that. 
And if you have done that before, you are walking in faithfulness with this. We're watching these kids get saved. They're getting baptized. They're growing in their faith, right? And every kid grows and develops in a different, like, um, pace. So it's not about forcing that faster than it needs to be. But it's been such a privilege for seven years or more now for me to watch this happen. And, and you take that seriously. So one is that um, if you're married, it's your spouse. There's that mutual discipleship. You have iron sharpening iron in which as you're pursuing the Lord, your spouse, if they're a follower of Christ, they're able to be edified and strengthened in their faith too. And you guys are running the race together. So you have that component if you're in our church. And if this is your church family, well then the church family around you is a source for you to establish and to exhort in the faith. This is when you use your spiritual gifts as a means to edify the church family and to establish us and to exhort us. If... Uh, yeah, anyway, they, so those are three areas, right? Could be, could be your kids, could be your spouse, could be this church. Well, it definitely is this church, but um, those are three different areas. So are you walking in a way in which you are establishing and exhorting those around you? I encourage you, as well as I'm encouraging myself with this, that we must be like Timothy to be faithful with this task. Let us not lose focus. Let's not... Um, uh, lose track of that of that mission for something that is lesser or something that is good but not really what God wants us to do and let us take seriously that responsibility. Timothy did so and that church did well and was anchored and rooted and there's a follow-up letter in 2 Thessalonians you can read and you're able to see the work that occurred in their lives. I wanna encourage us also to be like them. So basically like uh, hashtag be like Timothy I guess is the, is the way we would summarize that. So, um, Maddie, if you and the team can, um, can allow us to conclude with worship, I want to encourage you as we sing, you are welcome to just belt it out and sing if you'd like, uh, but also if you would need to, if you would like to, use it as a time to reflectively pray and find yourself uh, responding to God, talking with him about these matters in any one specific area that is most pressing on your mind, your heart. If you would like to pray with somebody else, whether that's just to get stuff off your chest and confess it, or if you gotta talk through some of this, well, I'll be available. We got a team that'll be available. So like as, please just, anybody who needs prayer, just come forward. And then if there's more people than I'm able to talk to, so more than one, uh, then other leaders, you join me up here and we'll just slowly keep working and praying with you. So uh, don't look for us. You guys just come forward over here and we will pray with you. 